Hello, this is Mark Carey, and welcome to this edition of the Employee Survival Guide, where you can learn everything your employer does not want you to know about and more. Uh, in this edition, we'll talk about how to negotiate severance agreements. Severance agreements are the primary way clients come to our office, and we evaluate them on a daily basis. Uh, we'll have anywhere from, uh, well, 10 or more, 20 of these cases at a given time. Uh, and out of severance agreements uh, or the review of severance agreements for clients, we develop client cases. And I'll get into the more specific of this later in the episode, but the we really, our entrance into the client case is through the uh, severance agreement. And I wanted to walk you through the basics uh, of what we do so you know what to do when your situation arises. Unfortunately, that may be uh, that you have a severance being offered to you and you've lost your job. The role of severance uh, agreement negotiation is probably the most prominent uh, thing that we do in our office besides litigation. It is something we encourage because obviously it's creating settlements between parties. We like that. We don't want clients paying legal fees for a long duration. Uh, no one does. And uh, so getting to the heart of the issues for ne severance negotiation, it's all about what your leverage is. And first leverage is you need to have an attorney an employment attorney specifically. But without the attorney, the employer is going to size down your severance uh, offer to you. Essentially said, they'll you just have to take what they offer you and you don't have the leverage to increase the offer. And what the employment lawyers do is create the leverage for you. Now, you're going to have to spend money, unfortunately, to hire experienced employment counsel to develop a case, evaluate whether you can uh, assert uh, claims and uh, create more leverage and, in the end, get more money out of the employer. We, as a firm, do not participate in the outcome of client cases in terms of their severance. We believe, or I believe, as the uh, founder of the firm, that we uh, want the money to go back to you to pay for the financial needs that you have. Uh, we do our job, and we do it well, and we move on to the next client. It's very important to look at the severance negotiation in a way that uh, that we look at it and try to look at it objectively from your end, and I'll get into that in the specific um, issues in a second. But first and foremost, we need you to explain what happened, uh, the facts leading up to the termination. And by that, I mean we need a written narrative. Uh, if you're not creating a narrative about your case and you expect the lawyer just to read your mind, forget about it. And the, uh, the employer is not going to do that. So we, as a practice, have uh, we require our clients to create a detailed chronological narrative. The longer, the better. Oftentimes, you get quotes from um, prospective or the opposing counsel that uh, the client had recorded conversations. In fact, uh, often clients have great memories and they're able to pull together all the information to the narrative in one source. For example, you can use Slack, text message, email, uh, anything, your memory. Most important, I can't underestimate the, uh, the value of your memory to um, contribute to the narrative. And you're going to dump everything you can into that narrative. And why go through all that effort? Because the the power of the narrative has a direct correlation to the amount of money you're going to receive in severance. And this is um, something I can't understate to you. Uh, so get your narrative together. But before you get your narrative together, call us and we'll have a conversation. It's free of charge, of course, which you're trying to understand if there's anything we can do. But we're going to try to explain to you in that conversation, I'll try to do my best right now in the, uh, this edition of the podcast to tell you that you're, when you look at your fact pattern and you create your narrative, 
you're you're basically using one language, and we're using another language. What the law requires, so you need to do some learning about. Uh, and we provide this uh, detailed background learning for you to understand in our website. If you just spend the time and read the articles in the different practice areas, depending upon your claim, you'll be able to issue spot or fact spot the things you need to create the claims. For example, if you have a sexual harassment claim, you're going to want to uh, identify all the specific examples of how you're treated differently because of being female or male or transgender or sexual orientation and how other people are treated differently than you more favorably, typically. And so the details of the narrative will get into this kind of comparator type of treatment of you versus everybody else and help the lawyer figure out whether you have a claim or not to essentially ask for more money. So read articles, educate yourself about what the lawyers need, uh, and hire an employment lawyer. I can't underestimate that issue. Hire anyone. You can hire our office, but just hire an employment lawyer. And you'll understand why at the end of the transaction, because the lawyer will guide you through things you didn't even know. And it's worth the money. Uh, again, it's um, I can't underestimate that value of hiring the lawyer. It's not a sales pitch to hire lawyers. It's just simply you need to know what the lawyers are dealing with and what the corporation's dealing with by the rules uh, instead of in your own mind what you presume to be, uh, because oftentimes that's incorrect. So. Uh, down to the basics, the uh, the written narrative helps us understand if there are claims. We will then um, advise you about the different claims you have and how to go about it. And I can just go through the run of the basics for you so that you are up to the speed on what those uh, basics are. The first basis are you need to um, get an agreement from your employer. The uh, the severance agreement is the method to which you're going to exit your employment. It's something that typically they're going to hand you. You're in shock to get it. Uh, you're in disbelief. You can't imagine your career, your identity. Everything's gone in a heartbeat. Didn't even see it coming. Um, you need to actually throw all those uh, pieces of uh, emotion out of the transaction and identify the facts that, that led to what happened to you. Again, the narrative. So uh, the lawyer is, uh, when I approach these transactions, I'm objectively looking at what's happening. Uh, I can be empathetic to what you're going through, but I know to pierce through that and look and challenge the client to get out the facts that I need to demonstrate what I'm trying to prove to either side. So emotions out. Uh, we'll deal them on the sideline. Um, you know, I've got my years of experience providing mental counseling to people, although I'm not a, a therapist, but I do my best. Um, and uh, if you um, put the time and energy into the case uh, to evaluate your case with an employment lawyer, you'll reap rewards of that investment after you're done. Again, a severance negotiation is a transaction. You're investing into it. Uh, don't uh, believe anything else. Uh, if you're looking for justice and all those other kind of principled ideas, uh, you better have your finances in order in order to obtain that. In this uh, legal economy, the, the issue of justice is uh, very highly priced, um, and it's not for everybody. Um, to go fight the full front litigation and challenge the employer. Of course, the employer has more money than you do. So the next thing is how much to ask for. Um, so in terms of severance, there are no rules to what to ask for, and you can find yourself um, get asking for maybe one, two X of your salary, sometimes three. For higher price executives or executives with compensation, uh, executive compensation issues or incentive compensation, uh, we're looking at uh, other forms of agreements they enter into that enhance the severance being offered. Uh, and that's uh, for another podcast, I could talk about the, those types of equity agreements and how they can potentially um, 
you know, the method of termination determines what you get at the end of your, uh, either you get an acceleration of your vesting or not, but how much is too much is really the issue there for the, um, for the, for you to just figure out. And then the employment lawyer will help you do that. And that is really uh, kind of an unspoken rule that I can only offer is if you ask for too much, let's say three times the amount of your salary, or you ask for a million dollars for you know to make it easy, uh, you're going to find yourself in litigation with your employer. Uh, it's not something uh, to be taken lightly, and you need to really consider what you're being you're asking for, so that when your ask is reasonable to the other side, and they say, okay, you're not being ridiculous in terms of your amount. Um, but again, each case is factually different. Again, no rules to this issue. There are no laws saying what uh, amount of severance you should be paid. Uh, I, people come at me all the time with the, you know, two weeks every year of service, and I say, show me where that is. And uh, I'll get into the more specifics about plan benefits in a second. Um, the third issue about, uh, basic issue about severance is, you know, you're getting divorced from your employer. It means you're going to basically release your claims against the employer and they're buying your confidentiality, meaning your silence. So be prepared to shut up. You can't write a book. Uh, you can't talk about the issues. There are some caveats on how they craft agreements. Sometimes the confidentiality is dealing with the agreement only in terms and conditions of the agreement, but not the underlying claims. That's actually preferable. Uh, but nonetheless, you can't uh, you know, discuss the agreement after you sign it if you want the money. If you do, uh, take the money, you got to basically agree to say no comment when somebody asks you about it. Uh, the next one is number four, the most important part. This goes back to the factual narrative is how to leverage up. You need to find some type of claim to hook on to ask for more money. For example, a breach of contract or an age discrimination case or a wage violation. Uh, and you, if you don't have them, uh, those types of claims or any claims, the employment lawyer is going to deal with more of a kind of a goodwill, at will, you know, give me some more money because he's a nice guy approach. But nine times out of ten, that does not really work. Uh, a lot of clients seem to um, want to surpass or uh, bypass our, our processes and do that. Uh, they're not successful. They turn around. And they say, okay, I didn't. That process didn't work for me. So what do you suggest? So. You follow a process, we have one, it works. Uh, essentially, uh, it says basically, give me the narration of the claims, we turn it into an affidavit, we send the employer a notice of claims letter, it looks pretty formal, because it is, it's on letterhead, and it, it directly confronts the employer, and it spells out a narrative. You know that narrative you're so listening, uh, you're listening to so often now in the political season, or you know any narratives are out there, they're being curated, and that narrative is, for your case, is the same thing. We need to find what is that story that's going to just just infuriate the employer, and it has to be factually based. Uh, oftentimes, we uncover these scandalous behavior by employers, and they're just ashamed that that has happened. Uh, and it happens to public companies. It happens to um, companies, uh, not-for-profits even. Uh, it, it's you just have to dig deep into the fact pattern and find out what's there because uh, there's always a skeleton in every employer's closet. And so with the narrative affidavit and the notice of claims and a third document we use called a, a notice, uh, I'm sorry, a demand, uh, which is identical to the, uh, to the notice of claims, but it puts forth a demand. 
The notice of claims and the demand letter are two separate types of documents. One's an evidentiary document, notice of claims, that tells the insurer company that we have a problem. The employer will tell the insurance company that uh, to put a claim in. And then second, the notice of claim, I'm sorry, the demand letter is a um, non-binding, uh, non-evidentiary document that's used and it can't be introduced in a court of law because it's not a piece of evidence. Uh, but those three documents will get the conversation started with your employer. And I can't emphasize that enough. And uh, you have to proceed along that, that route because you are essentially telling the employer under oath that these facts happen, you screwed me over, and you're going to pay for it or we're going to sue you. Uh, and most employers these days in 2020 want to avoid litigation. Uh, they want to avoid the use of outside counsel. They want to avoid running up the costs. And I wrote about in a in an article years ago that employers are more addicted to the severance agreement and getting it from you than you are a fear of losing it or having it being taken off the table, which I am asked all the time. The agreement's never taken off the table um, and the employers always want to negotiate it because it's in their best interest. The next item I want to talk about is the non-competition and non-solicitation provisions uh, that either in the agreement, the settlement agreement, or they're in previous agreements that you want to get rid of because they are restricting your ability to work. And the why do you want to do that? Well, we want you as the employee to become a free agent after you leave. Let's say you were fired for a discriminatory basis. Do you think it's fair for the employer to hold you to a non-compete after the fact when they screwed you over and fired you because of age? No, it's not fair. And these days, especially during a pandemic, we want people to be working because, as we know, 40 million people got laid off. So getting and attacking the non-competition, we do that during the severance negotiation in the form of what we say a declaratory judgment type of claim, where we attack the underlying what's called consideration for the agreement, meaning that did you intend to have a non-compete? Well, no one wants a non-compete. I mean, it's only favoring the employer. So we always attack that issue as we want you to be a free agent to go work because, you know, if, what if you're 56 or 65 years old and you're just being fired after 33 years? You're going to have a hard time finding a job because there is age bias out there. And it's a lot easier to find a job if you don't have a non-compete. That makes sense, right? Yes, of course. So, um Getting rid of the non-compete is something we do during the severance negotiations and highly encourage you to think about that. Next item on the list is the uh, time limits for signing the agreement or to revoke it. There are no rules on signing severance agreements. Uh, you'll see this 21-day rule or this 45-day rule. That's about giving you notice. Uh, oftentimes, the uh, severance agreement is linked to some form of severance plan by the company and they'll have to follow the rules there. But um, those those rules, those time limits are negotiable. We usually ask for more time to uh, negotiate and the employer usually gives it. Once you sign the agreement, you have, and you're over the age of 40, you have seven days to revoke that agreement after you sign it. It's just a, it's federal law. It's designed to have a second look at it. You might feel, you know, misgivings after signing the darn thing and you want to do something uh, and it permits you to do that. So no rules other than the seven-day revocation rule, which is driven by statute, but no rules in terms of how long you have to sign it for, even though these agreements say 21 days, etc., to sign them. Um, the next item is no right to reemployment. This means that when you sign the release, the employer doesn't want you back. Makes sense because you probably created a stink in your way out because you created a narrative with notice of claims and a lot of um, anxiety from the employer. They don't want you back. So if you go that route, don't expect the employer to you know feel the love for you after the fact because it's not going to be there. Uh, the final issue or the eighth issue here is severance plans and ERISA. 
again, people often say that they have heard about other people getting fired and they got severance and two weeks per year of service or whatever. It's really uh, two issues. Either the company has some type of policy, not a plan, but a policy that what they do and they just treat everybody whatever they want to. And the other ver- version is having an actual severance plan, a plan that they file with the United States Department of Labor in Washington. And that's called an ERISA severance plan. And that has rules to it, namely your years of service equates to the amount you're going to get uh, for severance benefits, uh, probably uh, you know anywhere from 26 weeks t- um, and below, usually a cap. But when you're dealing with claims of, let's say, age discrimination on top of severance or severance plan benefit, the age discrimination uh, claim itself will be an additional financial factor put into the uh, severance arrangement negotiation uh, to enhance what you're, let's say, you're offered 26 weeks into the plan, you got to sign a release to get it, but then you have this discrimination claim, you're going to use the claim to put more money on the table, employer doesn't like it, but they have to do it if they want to avoid litigation. So uh, as an ERISA attorney myself, the uh, aspects of ERISA are straightforward for me to explain to the client. Um, essentially, we're going to identify whether the uh, severance being offered is part of a severance plan or not, or just a policy, and, and tell the client that and negotiate accordingly. Um, the ninth item on the, my list that I'm working on is uh, mutual release of claims. And when you get divorced, you want to do it completely, and you want to do it by both sides. Uh, the employer fires you, you fire them, uh, you release them, they release you. And the um, it's really important not to have any hangover effect whereby the employer can come back after you after the fact. Some employers, uh, a minute share of them will attempt to... Um, you know, put in language in the agreement to stop uh, or to prevent or protect the right for the employer to, you know, to sue you after the fact for claims, let's say, criminality or embezzlement, things they just couldn't uncover because you're so good at your job, you covered it up and they couldn't see it. I'm just kidding. Um, normally, you shouldn't be doing embezzlement and stuff like that. But that's what they, they fear. And uh, it's oftentimes I'll ask the question of the client. You know, is there anything that's uh, keeping you awake at night that you're really, really concerned about that was that you did at your job? And clients do come clean. Uh, and typically, they say there's nothing I really be concerned about but being sued. Um, there are those notable cases in my memory bank of uh, thousands of cases I've dealt with that uh, where I did have that issue come up, embezzlement or something or fraud. And um, so, uh, mutual release of claims from both parties, clean break. Everybody wants that, and typically, it's pretty easy to accomplish. Um, and then the last item is uh, the issue of. Um, you know, if you don't get a settlement, uh, you have litigation. And it's really the cornerstone of what we do in our office is to promote settlements for both parties, kind of an objective, neutral way. Even though we're the advocate, even though we're creating this powerful narrative on the employer, we do want the employer and the employee to resolve because the alternative is costly. It's um, it's more difficult down the road to begin to negotiate settlement because people get uh, hunkered down in their positions, and uh, it takes a, usually a court-involved uh, mediation session to help the parties out of it. But roughly about 80% of the time, the cases we're resolving without litigation, which is great. Uh, it helps everybody concerned, employers and employees. And about 20% of the time, you have employers who have maybe counterclaims or they have uh, a negotiation policy to, to bleed you out. 
to you know expend your money on legal fees to the point where you just cry uncle and give up. Um, that's kind of an older school type of approach. Still does happen, uh, but we know it when we see it early on uh, because our process you know usually draws that out. So in summary, you know you want to take severance negotiations very seriously uh, and also objectively speaking. I came to this conclusion the other day that um, you know severance negotiation is a luxury, and if you have the financial means to afford it, it can have huge payoffs. Now you got to have claims to do so to support those higher amounts in severance, but it is a luxury. Please eyes wide open before you do this and hire some attorney. Uh, don't. Um, uh, hire the attorney and think that they're just going to magically wave a wand and severance shows up. You got to work with us uh, to develop it, but you also have to put the money up to deal with it. And we don't give estimates on our uh, retainer agreements because we can't predict the future. But walk in knowing that if you're asking for two x of your salary and it's a quarter million dollars, um, you got to be reasonable with yourself uh, to, that you're going to experience some uh, you know, legal fees for the attorneys to investigate, open up your fact pattern, look at what the, what's there and advise you. So let's just be reasonable about that, okay? So when you hire the attorney, it's an investment, it's a luxury, you don't have to do it. You can take what they want or the, the employer's offering and be done with it. Just do your study before you start this process. It's all going to happen like a, a train wreck all at one time. You're going to be on a lot of stress, but just ground yourself, you read an article like I, uh, on our website. Uh, in this case, I'm reading from an article, How to Negotiate Severance Agreements, a uh, blog that was done many years ago, uh, but still holds true today. Uh, but read up. Other than that, uh, thank you for listening to the, um, the podcast today. If you have uh, any questions, give us a call at Gary Associates. Uh, we're on the web, and you can find us, and we'll talk to you right away. Thank you.